Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Today, we look into unusual cases out of China concerning encounters with UFOs and non-human intelligences, as well as several other strange mysteries. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mysteries with a History. We will be taken on a wild ride into the unknown, the strange, and the mysterious. Like you, I have questions, and like you, I want answers. And with each episode together, we will peel away the layers to look for the truth. Let me bring in my co-host, Jimmy Church of Fade of Black Radio. Every week, Jimmy, it's the same. Yeah, that was good. Oh, I was just kicking it. You were in. You were in flow. I was listening. Then you just wait. Easy. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back. You look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and and uh, welcome back. I uh, don't know what you were out there doing, but I'm sure that it was fun. Visiting family is always a blast. Well, oh, that's what it was. Okay. Oh, you're disclosing. You're disclosing. It was it was a family thing. Mm. Cool. All right. Okay. UFO hunting, sky watching with the fam. Why not? And all of the above. <laughs> Mainly eating a lot of snacks and and catching up on all of their meals. Uh, that was the biggest. Takeaway. Yeah. Welcome back. We missed you. Um, the um, the topic for this week. This this one I can't. I I do have to ask the question because. Uh, this seems to have just come out of nowhere. You know, China, uh, China's UFO encounters and stuff. It just what what what's going on? Was it the family? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what uh, what what brought this on? China's a very interesting country, and it's something that I think we need to dive deeper into. And what's unique about China in particular is that they created their UAP task force back in 1927, and they've had their own UFO society since 1980. So they've had a deep hand when inside of the UFO topic, but it's not something that's talked about so often. It's always the United States. It's always Roswell 1947. But I I think we need to share the love with all the other countries. So this week is going to be a very interesting one when it comes to China and their documented sightings and encounters that have been happening, at least to my understanding, for centuries. And it's just, it's something that I, I think is going to be really interesting for today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great subject. And, you know, the problem that we have um uh, well, we have the problem here in the United States too, as well. But, but China and many countries around the world, we 
here in the United States, we're so acclimated to to access to the press, to have the freedom of the press, and to have uh, things reported and not interfered with by the government. But but in 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 situations in other countries, and, and obviously China, but but Russia or Iran or or Pakistan or you know, it's like pick a country. They control the media. Uh, you know, North Korea is a perfect example of this. And so, when it comes to UFOs in China, what we know is what the Chinese government will tell the Chinese people. That's the only way, it, you know, and I, I in researching uh, for today, and I just want everybody to know, I went over to uh, the Chinese <laughs> news agencies uh, and their websites, and it, you know, and I kind of got out of there reading through and, and kind of seeing things. I was like, you know what, do I need... Do I need China to know that I'm snooping around, right? And 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 giving them because they're so good at what they do, right? And 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 finding somebody, and the next thing you know, they zero in. There's that part of it. So I backed out. Uh, there's a certain amount of limited information there, but even I, Christine, I'm serious. I chickened out. I chickened out. I backed out. And I made this offhanded comment. I was kind of joking in the chat before the show. I said, well, this banner is officially going to get Christina <laughs> banned in China, you know, because they control it. Now, when they do release information about UFOs, you kind of got to take notice of it, right? Why are they doing it? And because this is going out into an environment where they control all information, right? That's it. All of it. So when they choose to report on UFO activity, uh, and we're going to get into some of these cases, yeah, I think that it is a reason for pause, and and you have to ask the questions. Why are they letting this out to the Chinese people when they want to paint a picture of uh, their own world, right? So that that can be the case for any story. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 even our own. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, China is its own unique situation. Now, I have got uh, a couple of stories here, too, as well, that uh, you may not have known about, and we'll get into those, too. Um, and images. Now, getting images of UFOs in China, thats that takes it to a whole nother level. But this goes back a long ways, and I have, I do have a surprise uh, for the show today. So let's start. Uh, are we going to go in order? I think it'd be ideal to go in chronological order. Okay, so you want to do Nanjing first? Let's do it. Okay. Do you want to share the image, or do you want me to share it? Uh, well, okay. See, now I think I have the secret image. All right, well, let's see it. Well, let's see. Well, okay. No, I want to see yours first because then I won't have to show mine because I okay. think mine is the secret one. All right, I'll pull this up. So this sighting took place in 1892. And here is the image. Oh, you got the, Yeah, how did you get that? You can't get this image. It's impossible to How did you get this image? 
You are good. I went on impossible.com and I found it. Really? So, so did, this, so did this, <laughs> this sighting took place September 28th, 1892 in Nanjing in China. And this was China's first ever illustrated account over the appearance over the appearance of a UFO. And you might say, okay, where is the UFO? We're looking at it right here. This little donut shaped craft. It's like a little eyes and a little mouth, like a little shocked face. And so in this, in this drawing, you're able to see people pointing at the sky, filling up the bridge and trying to look at the spectacle. And they're all pointing, oops, here and stuff pointing at this. And then here is kind of a description of what was being seen. So the painter that made this by the name of Wu Yu Ri, Ru Yu Ru. And you know what? I took Mandarin for six years and my goodness, is it like incredibly awful. But here, the painting is called Soaring Scarlet Flame in the Sky. And it went on to become pretty invaluable to UFO researchers. And so the scene depicts a crowd assembled on the Ju Bridge near today's Lamo Mingdong from yeah. where they could. Well done. Well done. I, 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 I knew. I, I mean, we've got a lot more of uh, Chinese coming up that we're going to uh, struggle with um, everybody. But well done. Well, better you than me. Okay, but but continue because this case. Um, let me you just mention Wu Yuru, uh, the painter. I went and looked at his art. He he is a very very famous and cultural icon and painter in China, and his paintings are incredible. But what uh, what he did do in a lot of his stuff was uh, have a Chinese narration of what was going on. So he was kind of like a, a journalist slash painter, which is happening here. But this is for him to depict this and also tell the story because he was there and he saw it. This was actually a very, very big deal at that time with that dynasty in China. So uh, a lot of weight has to be put behind Wu, uh, Wu Yuru and his his importance in, in Chinese history as an illustrator and a painter. And we're very lucky to have the English translations on what it says on top of the paintings. I want to go ahead and read that to you. It says at... Eight o'clock on September 28th, a fireball appeared suddenly in the southern sky of Nanjing. Its shape resembled a gigantic egg, and it traveled slowly from west to east. Clearly visible in the night sky, its color was red, but it had no luster. Hundreds of civilians stood on the bridge looking for a good view, standing on tiptoes, craning their necks upward, while the fireball appeared to float slowly in the air. It lingered for the duration of a meal. So like the time that you're sitting down to eat, like breakfast or lunch, like that's how long. Fading little by little into the distance. And some said it was a meteor, but that would disappear in an instant. This ball's movement from its first appearance in the near sky to its final 
disappearance in the distance was quite sluggish. It could not have been a meteor. Others said it was a lantern kite that children flew, but the wind was blowing to the north that night while that object was heading east. So it could not, it could not have been a lantern kite either. For a while, everyone was shocked, but no one could solve the mystery. None of the theories made sense. An elderly man said, when it first arose, there was a slight noise which was hardly audible, like the buzzing approach of men darting across the southern gate. The sound was so soft that most people would have missed it. He added the object soared up in the sky from the southern outskirts of the city. It was so strange. And again, this took place back in 1892. That quote uh, from the uh, now I, I, the elderly man. Let's put that in quotes uh, uh, because that's all we have to go on. But he says a couple of interesting things here as an eyewitness. He says that it went from the ground up. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. That's that's not a meteor, right? He said, uh, and I'm quoting, um, it soared up into the sky from the southern outskirts of the city. That's that's a very, very strange description of something from, you know, 1892. And I always go back, Christina and everybody listening, you've got to go back to 1892 and think about what was in the sky at that time. Birds. Okay? <laughs> there, were, there, was, there wasn't any reference point for anybody to go on. And to say that this was a, a red glowing object with no luster, it wasn't flaming, it wasn't any, it was just a, a glowing red object that left the ground on the outside of the city and took off up into the sky and was not silent, by the way. It made noise. So, yeah, this is a, it's a fascinating painting. It's a fascinating encounter, and uh, everything is dated and documented on September 28, 1892, Nanjing, China. A very, 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 very amazing historical moment. And something else to mention is that in 1892 was the first weather balloon, not weather balloon, hot air balloon that was launched in France. So I think we should just put that there and then you can kind of figure out what you want to do with it. But I did want to go ahead and state that. But getting into our next little tidbit that I had mentioned at the very beginning is China's UFO task force that was created in 1927. So the People's Libertar um, Liberation Army is the principal military force of the People's Republic of China and the armed wing of the Chinese Communist Party. So the PLA 
consists of five service branches. You have the ground branch, you have Navy, Air Force, Rocket Force, and Strategic Support Force. So the PLA uses three tiered systems to investigate instances of unidentified air conditions. Um, which in the United States, we would probably probably classify them as UFOs. And this was according to the South China Morning Post. So the PLA relies on reports from military radar stations, Air Force pilots, police stations, weather stations, and Chinese Academy of Sciences observatories to gather as much data as possible about mysterious flying objects. And that is prevalent across the globe where you have all those kinds of of connections and people to interact with. But Chinese analysts have been overwhelmed in the recent years by the growing numbers of of citing reports from a wide range of military and civilian sources, according to the Post, uh, prompting the PLA's UFO task force to rely on artificial intelligence to help sort through the data. And while such reports conjure up images of alien craft, sightings of unidentified objects in China's airspace are more likely caused, as they always say, by humans instead of ET, according to a Chinese radar scientist quoted by the outlet. And so the increased popularity of recreational drones, as well as an uptick in military activity in South China Sea, could potentially explain for a lot of the more modern UFO sightings. But that doesn't answer the question on to why their UFO task force was created in 1927. When digging into China, it is a little bit more difficult to find as very detailed information, but it is something that we need to cover to the best of our ability. But I thought it was very interesting and it definitely caught my attention to see how early they created their task force. Because in South America, when we have covered different countries in South America, they've created their task force like Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, Argentina in in between the 40s and the 80s. That was the time frame. But we have China coming in really strong and really early in the 20th century compared to so many other countries. Also, I do want to mention that we have 369 people watching, only 171 likes. If you are enjoying the show so far, hit that like button right down below. Jimmy, let me ask you this. When you came across this information, what were your thoughts? Well, the same the same as yours and and everybody else's. It seems that um, China went through. They had the revolution. Uh, they they went through some cultural changes there, and so between uh, that original sighting that we mentioned in 1892. Now, historically, there were sightings before that too, but. Uh, between 1892 and 1927, there were big, 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 big changes that were going on in, in China. Um, and certainly what led up uh, to World War II and after that, and the control of media and information. Um, but to have this happen in 1927, yeah, we have to stop and, and ask ourselves, that was 20 years before Roswell. So what were the reasons for this? Now, China is a big country. Uh, uh, back then, now it's a really big population, but even back then, uh, a very large population with a lot of airspace and a lot of sightings. Um, the SCMP is the their me official media outlet, 
And when you go there, that was one of the outlets that I was talking about earlier today where I chickened out, chickened out for a lot of reasons. Uh, you can go and visit uh, the site yourself. And uh, let's see, please note, Jimmy, there's a feedback problem that seems to be happening on his end. I don't think he can hear. Uh, everything is fine over here. So do I sound fine to you? I think, you know what I think it is? I think uh, the um, uh, the sources that people are listening to are getting different sources coming in because I'm looking here at my audio and I am fine. Well, maybe, maybe it could be that like your headphones are a little bit too loud, like the volume, and it could be catching on the mic because like before you come on the show – or whenever you're muted, there isn't that feedback, so it might be that. Uh, here, I'll turn. I'll turn my headphones down. What What does that change? Well, then you might I, not get the feedback on the mic as much. See, I can barely hear myself. So it's, I, I man, you know, I, I, I'm not. I think because the majority of people don't have any issues. Right. And so when somebody says something, it's like everybody. Um, it says here the feedback is coming in when Christina speaks. So, yeah, yeah. See, see, so uh, I don't know. I think it's the sources. See, and then we have this. Uh, hold, hold on. Hold on. And W. Decker, thank you for that. See, it's fine. Here's another one. It's fine. Uh, so uh, sounds fine. See, so see now what you just did is stop the show. <laughs> Go to another source. Oh man. Okay. Anyway, where were we? We were just talking about. Okay, so um, uh, between uh, those those dates, I, I find it interesting. But then there is this. I am going to post uh, this image, and I want you to check this out. The oh, hold on for a second, man! I just had it up on the screen. Hold on, man! I am so sorry, everybody. I'm so sorry about this. Okay, there it is. I've got it up now. It, it's. Um, I just want everybody to know the share screen option. It will grab something that is in a layer behind, and it's not what is necessarily on the front of your screen. And so we go through that all the time. So anyway, so I had to reset. Okay, so here we go. Now, this image here, when you look at it, uh, you've got a cart. Right, uh, you can see carts. You don't see cars, so it's very. This looks like it's really, really vintage. When I originally, Christina, saw this image, which was many, 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 many years ago, um, it was dated. Well, you know, I'll circle back to that. This is 1942 in Tianjin, Hopa Province, China, and here's part of the story behind this image. 
um, uh, Masajiru Kiru says that he was going through his father's photo album from the China campaign just before World War II when he found a photograph of a flying object. His father, now deceased, had bought the picture from a Tienstein Street photographer apparently right after it was taken. My memory of this image, what I remember is that it was taken in China in 1911. And when you look at this image, it feels like 1911, and that always stuck with me. But today, most say that it was taken in Tianjin, Hopa province in China in 1942. Another version is that uh, back in 1942, an American man on duty, right, um, in military, was walking in the street of a town in the north of China. No mention of Tianjin. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Okay, that it was just a town in northern China. He sees a black hat-shaped thing flying silently above the street. He grabs his camera and takes the first picture of a UFO in China. There's the object there. You can see people pointing. You can see people looking in that direction. And this is one of, historically, this is one of the most famous UFO images uh, that that has ever been taken. We don't, there's two dates on this. One is 1911. Uh, one is 1942. We've got a couple of different stories that are behind it. One that it was found in a box of photographs. And another one uh, that it was taken by an American on the street and, and not a street photographer. And there are also a couple of other stories behind it too, as well. Um, maybe it was somebody that just threw a hat in the air and somebody grabbed a picture at the right time. I don't know, but there is the image and it is uh, very mysterious. It's an interesting one and a story that I wasn't familiar with. I have a, an image here that was, um, actually, let me just pull this up. It's really interesting. This was published by on the CIA website. Jimmy, could you please do the honors? Because you have that reading voice. If you could read this out loud. Okay. What do we have? It says, the China UFO Research Organization, otherwise known as Kuro, Churo, Kuro, I don't think it's Churro, will hold a national conference next month in Beijing. Now, this is dated... Uh, 1992, it looks like. Okay. That's right. Uh, and it was back. released in 2010. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was released in 2010. Okay, 16th of April, 1992. The conference next month in Beijing. Wang Chang Ting, acting chairman of uh, Churro, said that uh, searching for 
creatures that might be living in other solar systems is one of the themes of the 1992 International Space Year. More than 100 Chinese and overseas researchers will be present, making the activity the largest of its kind ever held in China. Unidentified flying objects, also known as flying saucers, became a hot topic in China in the late 1970s. There have been over 5,000 sightings of unexplained aerial phenomena in China. The first report, now when was this released? Now this is 1990, 2010. Isn't it interesting that in 2010 they said unidentified aerial phenomena? Yeah, it's a good grab there, uh, Christina. Uh, There have been over 5,000 sightings. The first report of UFOs came from America, and there have been 400,000 reports of sightings worldwide. In 1978, the United Nations called on the governments of all countries to be on full alert for sightings and establish UFO investigation bodies. China set up its own investigation body, Kuro in 1978, and it is now a member of the China Association for Science and Technology, largely supported by the government. Very interesting. It and is. UA 2010. Wow. But here's the crazy thing about the release. So it came out in February of 2010. 2010 was one of the hottest years for China when it comes to UFO sightings. And I th- now, is there a correlation here? I'm not sure, but I found it interesting that even though this took place, this was originally written in 92, they could have kept it a lot longer. They could have kept it classified for another 10, 15, 20, 50 years. They only did it 20 years later, a little under that, 18 years. And during a time, and we're going to cover it a little bit later, of when UFOs were seen consistently in China. Now, I'm here to bring in a really fun fact about China. That blows my mind to this day. China should have at least five time zones, but it only has one. And that changed back in 1949 when it became a communist country. So before 1949, they had all their time zones. And then, bam, they changed it up. Now, with the United States, there are six time zones. I read nine, but there's two or three that we don't actually use. So I was like, as an American, I cannot agree with nine time zones, but there are six. And it's also like it's including all the ones that you already know, plus Alaska and Hawaii. And that just goes to show number one is that the US and China are almost the exact same size when it comes to square kilometers. But when when you're anywhere in China, it's the exact same time as in Beijing. So like that's where they're getting their time zone from. And for me personally, blows my mind. Also, I love fun facts. And this one's definitely in that category. We should have one time zone in the United States. We need to get rid of daylight savings time like Arizona and Hawaii. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. Uh, uh, Not one time zone. uh, Just no daylight savings. I I, I don't even know what I'm saying. If one time zone. (laughs) Yeah, let's have one. But yeah, we should get rid of it. And and some people are lucky here in the states where it doesn't change, right? But which is also strange. Doesn't make any sense. But uh, anyway, yeah. Fun fact. Let's just get rid of uh, time. Uh, uh, what, what's it called? Daylight savings time. Daylight savings, yeah. 
<laughs> now let's go to, let's jump ahead. And we always run out of time. Okay. We've got so much to do. Let's go to, um, uh, okay. So we just did 1942. Uh, uh, let's go to 1968, the Gobi Desert. What, what's going on there? This is really interesting. And this came from the book called UFOs Over Modern China that was published by Paul Dong back in 1983. And here's the story that I am reading directly from the book. And it's it's like a 300-page book. It's really interesting because it's covering a lot of stories that were published in Chinese articles from the 60s up until the 80s that you really can't find that information anywhere else except from that book because I learned that one the hard way, but this is a really, really interesting story. And the reason why I'm highlighting it is because it took place in the Gobi Desert. And we're going to get back to that in just a moment here. But right now we have 467 people watching this live, 270 likes. Hit that like button down below. It really does help the algorithm gives more exposure, so on and so forth. So if you're enjoying it, hit that like button. But here is the really interesting story. So you have Gu Ying, an interpreter for the New China Agency, and approximately, you know, 30 years old during this time when he was interviewed back in the 1980s. But he recounted his experience from when he was 17 years old and serving in a military construction uh, regime in the Gobi Desert amid the Cultural Revolution. And at that time, students were dispatched to work on field projects, and he and his team were engaged in a significant irrigation project in northern China during mid-April. And it says here, we were working quite late when I heard my comrade cry out, what is that, that thing coming? So Gu Ying recalled and he said looking towards the direction pointing out by his comrade and saw a giant great disc of light trailing flames in the sky as it slowly descended into the Gobi sands it was a luminous red orange in color and had an apparent diameter of three meters before it landed it passed alongside a site inclination above the horizon and he could see a separate more luminous spot of the light flashing in the mass of the light surrounding it and as it was less than a kilometer from him when it passed he could see the details clearly it landed suddenly and the commander of the company telephoned the headquarters of the regime who dispatched a team of motorcycle troops to approach it and without doubt, the arrival of the motorcycle troop was detected by the disc, at least according to Gu Ying, because it suddenly ascended like an arrow and disappeared in the sky above. And it continues, as the northern frontier passed through the region, more witnesses believed, quote, this was a new reconnaissance machine from the enemy to the north inspecting the progress of the work of the canal. We did not know anything about UFOs at the time. And the object left behind evidence of its presence in the form of a seared cross on the ground. And it says, quote, as we knew nothing of these objects, we did not study the mark on the ground. We only thought in political terms and believed that this signified some kind of preparation for an eventual 
eventual enemy attack from the north. And Gu Ying noted that soldiers had been stationed in the Gobi Desert for a long time, and they had witnessed such phenomena before, meaning it wasn't the first time that this has happened. And the reason to why I'm bringing this up is because let's have a little fun here, Jimmy. Let's think outside of the box. Let's use our imagination. Let's say E.T. is visiting earth and where would they go they would go to places where there are not a lot of people and the gobi desert being one of the biggest deserts in the world it's a great place to be and what's even more interesting is that when gu ying was talking to his comrades they had mentioned to him oh yeah, we've seen this before this is nothing new it's nothing bizarre that's why this is a story that i believe is worth mentioning in today's show because we think that the Gopi Desert is just completely desolate. There's nothing there. Well, there is. There's oasis there. There is some vegetation. You can herd animals there, especially in, your, in the area of Mongolia. And But in our minds, we say, nope, there's nothing there but sand. And that would be the best place to hide right next to our oceans. Correct. And what what is fascinating about uh, this encounter touches upon what we were referring to earlier, and that is the control of information. So their reaction is, right, it's got to be the enemy. They're looking at our progress here in in the desert and what we are uh, what we are building and the infrastructure, right? They didn't have culturally, information about ufos or space or or any of that stuff so what what do you do well you base it on what you know and a reconnaissance a reconnaissance aircraft a secret reconnaissance aircraft that's uh that's very modern you know today we can use the word drone but but to have that worded like that back then very very strange and and propaganda driven that, listening to this, um, so the craft was about 10 feet. They describe it as silver uh, or uh, uh, saucer-shaped, um, glowing red, um, uh, skipping across the, the desert and then taking off and continuing. That's, that's a very, very, very amazing sighting. There, there's a lot of information there. It is. And just quickly doing the math, um, if this was recorded in 1983, and I'm just kind of roughing it there, because that's when the book was published, at least. And then for Gu Ying to have the sighting when he was 17, and he was 30 during that time frame in the early 1980s, that means that his sighting should have taken place in the very late 1950s into no later than 1960. And this was a difficult time period because China had just converted into becoming a communist party. They were having a lot of war with Mongolia. So yes, this would be the paranoid mentality of if we don't know what it is and it must be the enemy, especially when you have any kind of military background or military mentality in any part of the world, you're going to tell yourself it's it's the enemy. It's it's the people that we are against more so than anything else. Now, is this the wrong mentality? Is this the right mentality? Well, 
maybe it might keep them a little bit more safe, a little bit more on their toes. But at the same time, it's a little bit more close-minded, especially when you're encountering something like this that could be in the category of unknown because they weren't able to give a specific answer on what was being seen, but at the same time, they do not, they did not have that kind of background to be able to analyze and investigate the bizarre sightings and the cross in the sand, like maybe um, certain scientists might have that kind of background knowledge. And Paper Tiger, thank you so much for that and supporting the channel. It says here, it's crazy that China has an official UFO investigation program. It is. It is. It's crazy. And it says here, they ban depictions of ghosts and supernatural content in movies. I am not sure about that aspect. That, oh, that is, they, you, you know what they don't have in China? Are you ready? Mm. I mean, a ban. No time travel movies. Can't do it. Is it not, now, just, it's just like, stop for a second and think about what I just said. You can do whatever you you can have mar flying magic wizard you can do whatever you want no time travel nope 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 look it up look it up look it up that's it yeah 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 I don't know about uh I need I need to look into the UFO aspect I don't know if they have alien no they do have alien invasion movies coming out of China, but just no time travel. Can't do time travel. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, moving on. <laughs> before, okay. Before I get completely sideways here. So um, the next thing I'd like to talk about is I came across some really interesting information that comes from the book that was published in 1991 called um, UFO sightings in the ancient Chinese history books. And in that book, it cataloged 741 UFO incidents recorded in China between 139 BC and 1918 AD. And let me mention this. China has been and still is one of the best documented countries in the world. And what I mean by that is anything that happens, they're writing it down. They are documenting that. And they have been since pre-dynasty period. Now, we can also look at Egypt and Japan as well. And those are also countries that are recording everything. But China has just been one that has been the most detailed and precise in their work compared to a few other countries. So when they say 741 UFO sightings, based off of their background and their history referring to china i take that number to heart maybe more so than another country that would say it's about this much when china says it's that much it's gonna be that much so here it says that some cases just had a note on a log like this one for instance from the year 32 bc during the first year of the han dynasty and it says two moons appeared in the night sky all of a sudden other observations, however, are far more detailed, like in this case from, 9, from April 13th, 905 AD during the Tan Dynasty. And it says, in the middle of the night, a large star that looked like a Tao, which is a 10-liter box-like grain measuring container, suddenly appeared in the top of the sky and was floating towards the northeast. When it had reached about 30 meters above the ground, it suddenly stopped and remained still. 
The top of the star appeared to be burning and red and yellow blazing flames were as high as five meters tall. Later, the star started to spin. And when it had passed, little stars on its side were moving toward the southeast east and they came down like raindrops that soon disappeared meanwhile pale mist rose from the earth like bamboo thickets towards the center of the sky says this could not be a meteor because a meteors cannot pause while plummeting from the sky in addition a meteor cannot change direction or spin it had to be a ufo and this once again, it was documented in 905 AD. And what's unique about this, and hopefully didn't get lost in translation, is that this person is describing his sighting as a big star and very many small stars. And we've mentioned this on the show before, and that is language um, plays a really big role when attempting to describe an encounter or a sighting of any kind. And it's going, the language that they're going to use is going to be based off of their environment and their previous knowledge. For instance, Christopher Columbus, when he was sailing over to, he wanted to go to Asia, but that didn't really happen. He ended up in the United States-ish kind of area. And he said in his one of his journals that he saw a candlelight going in and out of the water. That was the best thing that could come to mind back in 1492. Now in 905 AD, the best thing that could come to mind to this person from the Tan Dynasty was up oh, stars. That's the best way I can describe it. But in his mind, he's like, it's something unknown. I don't know what it is, but my best connection is a star. I love these kinds of uh, 32 BC. I keep going back to the same thing. And I hope that everybody gets uh, acclimated and used to this. You have to go, what was in the sky? And back and uh, especially when we go deep into the historical record, uh, Christina, is this, there was a lot put on, Astronomy, astrology, predictions, things that nature would do. Is this an ominous sign? Is it this or that? So constantly looking to the sky for answers, uh, observing and and wondering what was going on up there and what the stars were and and everything else. And so when you look at it, it, it like that, when you make an observation, when everybody's looking at the sky and you see something that doesn't make sense, and then, bam, you put it down into the historical record and you write about it, what is it that they are seeing? They, everybody saw shooting stars, meteors, right, things coming. But when you see something that doesn't fit that and you write it down and you get that kind of description, you have to step back and wonder what is it that they were seeing at that time because they didn't have anything else as a reference point. I think once we get before 1900, before we, you know, you get before airships and balloons and, you know, you get before 1900 and you look at these comments and these things in the historical record, th that is very, very significant. And the way that they described it, flying shields, wheels in the sky, however they want angels, whatever, whatever they want to use as a descriptor, but they're not saying birds, right? They're not describing insects. 
They're not describing, you know, a comet stays in the sky for months at a time, right? It's going to stay right there for for weeks and not appear to move. We've got lots of that in the historical record and drawings of it. It's when you see something else that doesn't fit, I think we need to stop and take note. I, I agree with you on that one because you have to look at the outliers, things that don't fit in the box, that don't fit in the mold. Those are the things that catch a lot of people's attention. Well, not everyone. People will discard those outliers, especially when it doesn't benefit their statistics. But for people such as ourselves, those are the things that catch our attention the most than your typical, this is a square and that's a circle and don't ask questions. So for this next one, this is an encounter that took place back in 1998, October 19th to be exact. And this was when radar operators at four military installations in the Hebei province, China, detected an unexplained radar contact above a military aviation school in Changzhou. And the object unidentified and not matching any known military or civilian aircraft profiles prompted Colonel Lee, the commanding officer at the base, to dispatch a Jiangzhou 6 fighter jet to investigate the anomaly. And the incident was witnessed by at least 140 individuals on the ground who initially described the object as resembling a small star, there it is again, that increased in size, possibly indicating a descent to a lower altitude. And witnesses provided descriptions of the UFO as having a dome shaped like mushroom atop a flat base adorned with brightly shining lights that rotated continuously. Doesn't sound like a star to me. But the Zhang Jiu's six crew, comprising a pilot and a radar navigator, reported that the object bore a striking resemblance to spacecraft depicted in international sci-fi cinema. And just to emphasize, this took place in 1998. And as they to within like 4,000 meters, approximately 13,000 feet of the object over Qing County, it suddenly ascended rapidly, demonstrating the capability to outmaneuver the pursuing aircraft with absolute ease. And the maneuvers suggested that the UFO was deliberately evading capture, at times outpacing the jets, and then repositioning itself directly above it. Jimmy, doesn't that sound incredibly familiar? <laughs> over and over and over again. That's right. Wait, no. I mean, it's like I'm reading something that has to do with the Foo Fighters during World War II. Sure, sure. sure. And and the, um, uh, the Foo Fighters... We have to, the Foo Fighters are just an example of what has been happening his, historically, not only uh, throughout the ages, but all the way up to today. The Foo Fighters, yes, were reported by our military, uh, the, the Axis and the Allied powers, both sides of the fence were seeing this. Wondering if it was the other side with some secret weapon and some secret aircraft, the, it, it was it was it was neither right, and it, it was left there in the middle. But it's also very similar to the reports and the things that I have seen and others talk about today. Nothing new. Now, would the Foo Fighters 
could uh, uh, that idea, that plasma star type craft that is in this report and others, is it just is it just a a probe? Is it, it reminds me of the Tic Tac. Is it just something observing us? World War II was a significant event. If you were ET, wouldn't you want to see what is going on with this? Well, sure, sure. But does that explain the Marfa lights or the brown mountain lights or the plasma balls that are seen in the sky, the orbs that are reported around the world, like on a daily basis? So China isn't immune to this, and I don't think anybody has been. It goes back Nuremberg, right? That 32 BC report that you just talked about out of China. Very similar, right? And it continues today. It does. And as you had mentioned, no country is immune to any kind of UFO sightings or bizarre encounters. And it just goes to show how important a show like this one is not just talking about the United States and all the UFO sightings that take place there. People roll their eyes that are not from the States and say, can you talk about any other country? And the answer is yes. But sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to find all of the really interesting and prevalent information. But a little bit earlier, I mentioned 2010 was a hot year for UFO sightings in China. And let me tell you, I'm bringing in the goods for that. So I'm going to share my screen here. And can I just can I just admire this airport? It has a full-blown forest in it. Okay, this is crazy. And this, just to emphasize, this airport is, is the Xiao Xiao Shang Airport in Hong Xiao, by the way. So in September of 2010, a Chinese airport in Inner Mongolia was temporarily closed due, a, due to a supposed UFO sighting, marking the eighth such report in China since June. And air traffic controllers observed erratic bright lights leading to diverted flights. And despite previous government attributions of such incidents to military exercises, this event was officially denied, saying, nope. It's not military. I don't know what it is. And then there was another significant sighting that occurred in July at this airport that I'm showing you the screen of. And it had it had delayed flights and it was sparking widespread media and public interest as well. And so these incidents have fueled ongoing speculation and debate regarding their nature and origin. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is, well, one, we're dealing with 2010. Two, we're dealing with airports, and there have been a handful of airports around the world that have had UFO sightings. One of the more famous ones has to do with the O'Hare Airport in Chicago, but we can also look at Turkey. That happened not too long ago. Um, India that took place last year. We're also looking at China in 2010, and in this case, there were eight similar sightings during that same time frame. And so the big question here is why airports out of all the places to go ahead and, and hang out casually or for a UFO to be flying around, have it be military or ET, why the airport when you have millions of eyes on you on the ground and in the sky? 
Yeah, when you go back, uh, what is interesting, uh, you laid out the facts of the case really well. If you go back to the original, this is 2010, look at the original press clippings and press releases that came out uh, back then, and I have one of them here, October 6th, 2010, dun, dun, dun. A Chinese airport was shut down for more than an hour last month because air traffic controllers saw what they believed to be a UFO buzzing the airport, according to reports coming out of the country. It is the eighth time since June that UFOs have been reported in China. Again, let's remember about the Chinese media. In the latest episode, several passenger jets were diverted from the airport at Bao Tu in Inner Mongolia for about an hour around 8 p.m. on September 11th. The alert was triggered by bright lights in the sky that moved erratically, but reports claim that air traffic controllers at the whole hot air traffic management bureau spotted the object on their radar. After about an hour, the object and the lights suddenly vanished and passenger jets were allowed to land. Another UFO report caused a sensation and forced Xiaoshan Airport in Hangzhou uh, to cease operations on, you mentioned it, July 7th, 2010. A flight crew preparing for descent. This is from the press release out of China. A flight crew preparing for descent first detected the object around 8.40 p.m. and notified the air traffic control management department. Aviation authorities responded within minutes, grounding outbound flights and diverting inbound ones to airports in Ningbo and Wuxi. Eighteen flights were affected. Normal operations resumed an hour later. And to have this come out of China officially reported, again, I went to the SCMB website uh, to pull this uh, information off, uh, the official Chinese. Uh, it's funny, I got this th notice, we are collecting your data. I was like, no, you're not, <laughs> and clicked out of it. But yeah, so this is these are the press releases from China out to the world. It's it really is fascinating. And we simply cannot talk about China without mentioning February 2023 and the supposed Chinese spy balloons that flew over the United States. But here is the crazy part, especially if you haven't been following the story which, I mean, it was three days worth of weird objects flying across the United States into Alaska, into Canada. People were freaking out about it. But here's this is what I want to mention, is that China was having very similar instances happen during that exact same time frame. So I'd like to read to you, and here's the supposed image of the Chinese spy balloon that was collected by the U.S. military back in February of 2023. That was an interesting year. 2024 is becoming very bizarre so far. I'm looking forward to what else it has in store for us. But according to TASS, which is the Russian news agency, they say that in February of 2023, residents of Chichihar in Heilongjiang province, China, reported seeing UFOs in the sky. 
February, February, different parts of the world. There's a connection there. And these objects were described as leaving bright lights before fading away. And the event occurred at around 523 p.m. local time, because China only has one time zone, capturing local attention. Despite the sightings, local meteorologists and air defense officials could not provide an explanation for the phenomena, stating that there was nothing to worry about. I do not see the connection there. If you don't know the answer, you shouldn't worry. Mm, no, but there's more to this. It says the incident was part of a series of UFO sightings across various locations, including a previous sighting over the local province of Shandong in eastern China during the same period. And then you had the United States and Canada reporting shooting down three high-altitude UFO-type objects, adding to the global intrigue surrounding such sightings. Additionally, a similar event in the Heilongjiang province was reported back in 2014, where three UFOs were seen flying from the sky and land in two different locations. The first object, described as a big ball of fire, landed in a vegetable garden in... Meng Chong village in Yi'an County. And the objects were reported to be metal balls half covered with a jagged edge. Another object with a diameter of about 70 centimeters and weighing approximately 40 kilograms was also reported. And the areas where these objects landed were cornered off for investigation, which is really interesting. But these incidents contribute to the ongoing global discussion about UFO sightings and their origin with various explanations ranging, ranging from natural phenomena to unidentified aircraft. But despite this widespread speculation and interest, very specifically in 2023, Definitive explanations of these occurrences remain elusive, and that is why it catches so many people's interest, attention, imagination, and intrigue is because it is in that category of we do not know and we are not getting a full-blown explanation to these things that are being seen in the sky and on the ground. Uh, yeah. Here's the issue. Why did we suddenly start shooting down UFOs? And why have we suddenly stopped? Now, that, that's the question. Because I think both situations are wrong. One, we didn't just start shooting down UFOs in 2023. Okay, that didn't just start. That's when we first heard about it. And then to suddenly have it stop, why did we do it for just a couple of weeks? Or have we stopped? I think both situations are incorrect. All right. So we just have to, we have to use an honest analysis and go with our discernment about what is actually going on here. Why were we suddenly just shooting at stuff with missiles over North American airspace? Right. Suddenly we're doing that. And then suddenly we just stop that all of this activity has just stopped. Right. And that it just started in 2023. I remember now this is this is uh, February or we're, we're, today's February 1st. 
Last year in February, when this was going on, I was hosting the Conscious Life Expo, which I'm going to be doing starting next week, which is the anniversary of all this stuff, right? Um, and and so we're we're doing the conference, and suddenly, and I remember it like it was yesterday, Caroline Corey, I was introducing, this is kind of weird, tonight I have Linda Moulton Howe on, on Fade to Black. I was on stage introducing Linda Moulton Howe, and Caroline Corey jumps up, she's got her cell phone, we're shooting down UFOs, right? And the whole place. And so for the next three days, what was happening? It was one incident after another, one incident after another. So that that was a year ago. I don't think, I, I just have to go with my spidey senses here. That is just what we were told. And one of the reasons why they had to talk about it is this spy balloon is, is going across the United States. So the citizens were seeing this. Could you shoot something like this down over the United States and possibly... Uh, you know, cause injury on the ground? Well, no. So I understand that. But it was an incident that we were told about. It can't be. There's no way that this was an isolated incident. And all of those incidents, Christina, all happened at the same time within a week or two of each other. And we are suddenly firing missiles at them. So, no, it wasn't the first. And it didn't just end there. Hot on the heels of all of that, China on February 12th, you know, suddenly says, hey, wait a minute. We've got the same thing happening here in China. And it was uh, spotted by Chinese maritime authorities over the Yellow Sea inside the territorial waters of China's Shandong province near the city of Rizhao. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Now, is it because China just needed to respond to what was going on over the United States and suddenly they've got the same situation going on over there? Or are we talking about something completely anomalous? Are we talking about is this part of the phenomena or is it something else? And why is it all happening now, all at the same time? It was a very, very, very strange situation. And and really to to really, you know, get the waters murky, muddy them up a, a bit more. Then China turns around and announces, man, we're gonna this show is definitely not airing in China this week. I can assure you of that. China announced plans to shoot down that object. And and so all of this is going out into to the media. Everybody's reporting on it. We know what's going on here. We've got Trudeau up in Canada talking about stuff. We've got Lake Huron. We've got things being shot down. And nobody knows officially really what those objects were. That's the other curious part. But now China is jumping in on the action. When all of these press releases go out, Christina, they never followed up. China never said. The next day, there was nothing in the media. They didn't say if they shot something down. They didn't say what the object was. Right? Very, very similar to, way, to the way that the United States handled this. We still don't know what those objects were. And if if if... The United States 
spends money on launching aircraft, spends money on launching missiles, that's 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 an expense. That's an expense. So if you are going to spend taxpayer money on launching aircraft and firing missiles and shooting something down, what is it that you shot down? You can't say, ah, it's out over the ice. We'll never know. That's not good enough. What is it that you shot down? We never found out. There was no, you would think that we would deploy our military to go out and collect said debris from said object that we shot down so the press can get involved and we can show the American people what it was. Was it just a, an amateur balloon? Was it a drone uh, from some private person that was flew off course? Was it something else? Was it Chinese military? Was it E.T.? Show us what it was, but we never heard. China did the exact same thing. China makes the announcement. They say that they're going to shoot it down and then silence. Is it because that they knew that it was something that was off planet, right? And they can't make that announcement? Is it the same thing that the United States was all involved with the press and all involved in talking about this until they couldn't? Two different countries, two different governments, two different cultures, but dealing with the same situation the same way. That's what I find curious. And I'm here to bring in the fun fact for you. To shoot a missile from the United States, it costs anywhere from $1 to $5 million per mm-hmm. missile. Mm-hmm. Those are your tax dollars. And tax yes. season is coming up, and my goodness... Do I want to cry? Just like everybody else. But I don't want to be paying for missiles, okay? But well, let um, me let me let me a little follow-up here. Okay, just a little follow-up. Chinese authorities believe that the object threatened the security of Qingao's port, home of the are you ready? I'm I, I'm gonna mess this up. Jiangez Huang. A major uh, PLA uh, naval base, Jiangezhuang is the command center of Chinese North Sea Fleet, home to nuclear attack submarines and their only aircraft carrier, the Liaoning. Now, I said that correct. There still have not been any new, any other updates from state media since the day after the uh, the day of the event the day after the event and all the way through to today it's been a year and no information we are left to hang and dry okay we got no rain we got no ice cream no ramen i'm disappointed and i want to complain right. to somebody about this right 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 hey, don't you find it just a little suspect i mean a little interesting that both countries handled this nearly the exact same way. I believe that China shot it down. They didn't talk about it. They didn't say what the object was. They didn't do it. Uh, also, over the ocean, remember, when we ch- shot down the Chinese spy balloon, that was over water. We went out and collected it, right? But, but nothing from China. We shot down those other objects, Nothing, total silence on the entire subject. 
China handled it the exact same way. Is it because they couldn't talk about it? Right? And if it's something innocent, right? Oh, we shot down a Chinese lantern. Well, you would show that on TV, right? Relax the people. But but no. No, they couldn't do it. And and I just find that strange that both countries handled it the same way. Practically verbatim, like carbon copy. And Cassidy, thank you for that, by the way. But you're right. We should have gotten more answers, but I mean, it it came and left. It caught people's attention in the month of February, and then people forgot about it. I'm really glad that we were able to mention it all, practically a year later, and then also kind of show the comparison between the United States and China. Now, there is one more case to cover. It's China's most famous UFO alien encounter, alien abduction, and it's it's a weird one. It, it's weird. Like if you remember Antonio Boas, VS Boas from Brazil, you're gonna remember this one because this, this is the incident um, in China, and the person's name is Meng Zhao Gu in 1994. Now we're gonna keep this nice and PG, right, Jimmy? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So in 1994, a Chinese individual by the name of Meng, as we're seeing on the screen right here, reported an extraordinary encounter because he claimed to have engaged in intercourse with a female alien standing three meters tall, about 10 feet, and distinguished with six fingers and fur-covered legs. And this um, made international news. Meng did go under a lie detector test, but this, as I had mentioned, is China's most famous encounter. So, Jimmy, what happened during okay. this time? Okay, 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 okay. The the um, the fur cover legs, uh, you know, 10 feet tall, female, and that part of it, uh, for me, is not the interesting part of the case. It's not. It's not. All right? It's how it happened, who he was with, right. and the description of the craft and the events. We look at all of that in its totality, and we've got a very, very fascinating case here. So, and it was it was investigated. I'll get into to all of that. And I think that even in the official and unofficial investigations that look into the case, say the way that I feel about it, which is the encounter, the craft, all of that happened. The other stuff with the furry legs, probably not. Right, but that's the way that they. So the 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 sighting and everything. Yes. So let's get, let's get into this. It uh, it took place in Phoenix Mountain in Wuchang, uh, and I'll say this again: Heilongjiang, Heilongjiang, Heilongjiang. Am I am I close? In 1994, he reported that he and a relative had followed what he thought was dun dun dun. A weather balloon. <laughs> right. 
after they saw a white shining object descend into Phoenix Mountain. Now, so right there, right there, we can just stop and we have a case. Everything else, the the soap opera stuff and and the, the a possible embellishment, I, I don't. He was a farmer. He was the, he, there was there was things about him and his background at that time that and the limited access to media and movies and sensationalism, where I kind of I, I kind of believe the entire story. All right, but let's leave the sensational stuff out and let's just go with the facts in the case. That's what happened. On June 7th, um, a large white object was seen landing on a farm. Two days later, when workers went to investigate, Meng, they found, was incapacitated and that he was hit by a beam of light. Now that okay, so that let's let's just you know you just kind of got to stay right there. We've got independent cooperation about this. We've got other witnesses. They're not talking about Phoenix Mountain. They're talking about a farm. They find him. He's knocked out. He's he's knocked out by this beam of light. Um, and this was done by workers that were sent out to investigate uh, this craft that was seen landing on the farm. The uh, after the initial encounter, he claimed to be suffering from ongoing harassment from these ET that they continued to come to his house and they continued to harass him. Now, he also said that he was taken onto their spacecraft and was shown pictures of Jupiter. Isn't that interesting? He says they claimed that that was their planet, Jupiter. And now, if what we know today and what we are doing today, uh, we have the Lucy space mission right now, spacecraft that is uh, uh, heading over to Jupiter to look at the Trojan uh, moons and asteroids around Jupiter. Uh, We have Europa. We have uh, these water world and water moons around Jupiter that um, the rumors of of the possibilities of life in these deep oceans uh, out there isn't that interesting. But here we have him saying these things back then. Jupiter. Yeah, I, I, I find that really interesting. His story was... Uh, investigated and examined uh, by the UFO Enthusiast Club at Wuhan University throughout 1997. They spent a lot of time on the case. They spent a lot of time interviewing him. They did the lie detector test and other things. They concluded that the initial contact, the story, the, the craft did occur. They said that uh, the reported events after that, uh, were almost certainly untrue. Now, this is their report from Wuhan University. Um, but there are many supporters uh, that he has throughout China and that everything that he said happened uh, as, as he had stated under testimony. So 
Uh, it's, 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 again, it's, it's very similar to other contact cases that have happened here in the United States and throughout the world. This happens to be in an isolated part of China um, from somebody that shouldn't have known anything about science fiction or, or anything being so isolated in, in China. Would, would he have known about Travis Walton or Betty and Barney Hill or, or any of the other famous cases here in the United States? No, probably not. Right? You just don't have access to foreign materials. And uh, this is 1994. This is before the Internet. There was no Internet in China in 1994. I can assure you of that. We were barely scratching the surface on things here in the United States with AOL. So you don't, you didn't have that, and you didn't have television, and you didn't have satellite TV. None of these things had happened yet. That's why I find this case really, really compelling. I do believe we have two different situations here. Now, um, I, I will say this, and I'm, I'm not here to offend people or anything. Because I listen to everybody, and I've got sensational things that I talk about that are my personal experiences. Okay, and they're they're tough to t- tough to believe. It's even harder for me to say these things. So when we have a situation like this, where the encounter happened, and then we have the 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 crazy part of this after that, um, it, and the other witnesses that were there. Is this something that actually did happen? And the the memories came out later, and there was nothing to substantiate it. Okay, I understand that, and it's a tough thing to believe. You know, and I listen to everybody. And in this case, it feels a little strange to me. But I believe that the initial encounter, the craft landing, whether it was Phoenix Mountain or in this farm or in that vicinity— there were witnesses there to to back up that part of the story, and they were sent out to investigate, and then they find him, and then everything else took off after that. It's a fascinating case, Christina. This is this is a big one. It is, and there's just a handful of things I'd like to mention. One of them being that after this encounter that he had, he had a distinctive two-inch scar on his thigh, which a mark he claims was not the result of any conventional injury or surgical procedure as confirmed by a doctor, but from what happened the night of his encounter. And that's something that people want to hear is that like piece of tangible evidence and in this case that could maybe maybe be that for people and Priminator, thank you so much for that now something else i did want to mention that you brought up was about jupiter and that was one tidbit that i wasn't too familiar with when it comes to the story and it got me thinking because jupiter is just like a huge sphere of gas with the only solid surface being a moon-sized diamond at least according to the latest research where you have a solid core under immense pressure so for an entity or civilization to be there to our human understanding it's almost impossible but cassidy did mention in one of the comments that maybe maybe not particularly on jupiter but it could be on one of jupiter's moons and i feel like that's based off of our current understanding of our solar system has a higher chance of believability than coming directly from jupiter 
Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. And it's so easy for me because I'm a big Arthur C. Clarke fan. Uh, uh, I haven't read all of his books, but I'm pretty close. And 2001, A Space Odyssey, what what more can be said about it, right? And But Arthur C. Clarke had a way of seeing the future. He Satellites, telecommunications, those are his words. We got to that point, but th- these are things that he invented and created and wrote about. And, and space stations and the, the space shuttle and all of that, that. That's all Arthur C. Clarke stuff. Okay, but let's go beyond that. One of the things that he talked about, the basis of the story of 2001, is Europa, the moon of Jupiter. And he concluded in 2001 and in 2010, the contact that was made was a a monolith, not only on Earth, but on the moon. They dig it up, and then as soon as they dig it up, sends a radio signal telecommunication signal directly back to Jupiter, which forces us to build a a craft to head to Jupiter to go and investigate. All right. What's the message that they get? The message that they get is the universe is yours. Europa is to be left alone. Right. And it's like, okay, now that's just a science fiction novel. But it seems to be playing itself out now in real time. And it goes right back to Wang and his encounter and what he has shown. So he's shown a picture of Jupiter. Jupiter's got so many moons, right, <laughs> orbiting it. Uh, and it, it's really, it's like its own little star system going on there. So they show him Jupiter, right, just to say that we're, we're from over there. They didn't say specifically we're from this moon on Jupiter, but the the connection, it's right there. I find it fascinating, Christina. And I have another fun fact for you because we're all about fun facts. But before you can even get that fun fact, hit that like button down below. Let's get to 500 likes. Now, here is my fun fact. And that is Jupiter has 95 moons. And one of them, you have Europa. And what's interesting about Europa is not only what Arthur C. Clarke had mentioned, but there has been recent information, I was like the last like 10 years, of what NASA has found is that deep within the surface, deep below the surface of Europa, there is an ocean. That's why they had launched the Europa Clipper mission was specifically for that. Now it's going to be a very long journey for the probe to get there. But let's say, okay, let's say there is a full-blown ocean under there. Number one, getting equipment to drill a mile, two miles, five miles deep is already a, like a huge feat in itself. Second, could you imagine alien space whales? Okay. Alien space dolphins. All right, special kind of fishies, some jellies, octopus, octopi, which people think are octopi, alien. Octopi. <laughs> octopi. That'd be amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and we wouldn't drill. No, you heat the ice. That's, That's a lot of energy do. to use. Okay, so you got a nuclear ball. We do it here on Earth now. 
Okay, that's we don't drill in Antarctica. We melt the ice. So the ball melts the ice, and then the, the ice freezes behind it, but it's able to just melt its way through. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to do there. By the way, Lucy is going to get to the Trojan asteroid field uh, and, and the other moonlets of Jupiter in August of 2027. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I cannot well, wait. Be this year, I was like, I look late in We've got a couple of years, got a couple of years to wait. Um, it, it just did the slingshot around Earth, gravity assist, kicking it up by another 2,000 miles per hour. And Lucy's going to arrive in August of 2027. It's going to uh, ch- check out, uh, I think, about uh, a half a dozen uh, different objects. Uh, slingshot around uh, Jupiter, back to Earth, slingshot again, head back in 2031, and then its mission will end in 2023. But August of 2027, I am just a pillar of Jupiter knowledge today. Wow. Um, But yeah, all of that is going on right now. And this whole thing with Jupiter, I have uh, a really cool telescope, not horribly expensive, but but a cool telescope, one of my favorite things to do is to look at Jupiter. And Saturn's cool in the rings and moon and Mars and all of that. But the reason why Jupiter is really cool to look at is because you see Jupiter, but you see all of its moons lit up around it in, in a nice little elliptical. It's like a little mini uh, solar system. They've got it going on. And you look at Jupiter, and you can you can see Jupiter with the naked eye, right? You can. You know, it's the brightest thing in the sky. Really cool. Pop a telescope on it and then take a look and look at the moons of Jupiter. You can see, you can see five, maybe five or six big ones orbiting Jupiter. It's fascinating to see. And and just to know that there's water there. And one last thing before I go, I'll let everybody know I said it at the beginning of the show, but I'll see everybody tonight on Fade to Black. Linda Moulton Howe is with us. It's going to be another fantastic conversation with Linda, so I'll see everybody tonight. Um, but uh, And I forgot what I was going to say. There was something else about the telescope. and Oh, yeah, octopus. Octopi. About five years ago, Anthropologists did a press release on on octopus, octopi. They said out of all of the species on Earth, the only one that doesn't fit are octopus. They have to be alien. They have to have been brought here from somewhere else. And I have to ask you, could it be Europa? And with that, I'll see everybody tonight on Fade to Black. Christina, another great show. Thank you so much. Perfect. Welcome back. Perfect show. Now I've got to go face the wind and the rain. I'll see everybody tonight on Fade to Black. Thanks, Jimmy. Always a great show. I love Thursdays. They're like the best. Now, out of everything that we covered today, which 
fun fact, which case, which time period was your favorite? Let me know in the comments. Let me know in the live chat. I do try my absolute best to read all of the comments. Before you head out, hit that like button, subscribe, and the notification bell as we do three live shows right here on this channel every single week. Tomorrow is going to be strange news, covering all the strange and mysterious news from around the world. We're in 2024. Scan that QR code with your phone. It'll take you to all of my social media links, websites, and everything in between. But also, my favorite thing to plug is my music channel called Cosmic Portals. If you need help relaxing, meditating, or using your imagination to wander the universe, take a look at my space ambient music channel called Cosmic Portals, where I make all of the music. Check it out. I think you're hopefully going to really enjoy it. Um, also, follow me on Twitter on eyes underscore on the skies for all of my updates and news and also on Instagram at strange paradigms. If you want to continue the conversation, bring it over to the discord server with 3000 other like minded members. Share your thoughts, your insights, your experiences and more. I want to say thank you to everyone watching this live, all the super super chat, super stickers, YouTube members, Patreon supporters, and of course, all of my amazing moderators. You know, I cannot do this show without you. That is it for today. I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Be safe and remember, keep your eyes on the skies.